such a great track, Stormzy and Crown. And it's the choice of our guest presenter today. His name is Dion Chang. He's a strategic thinker. He's the founder of Flux Trends. He uh, works in trend analysis. We know him from many years back when he worked in fashion and then he just exploded on the scene and started identifying new opportunities and new spaces, not just for you and I, but for others as well. Dion Chang, welcome to the show. You certainly are a person with purpose. Thank you for joining us. Good morning, Michelle. How are you doing today? Yo, we have been fighting to get you here. It's taken a while. (laughs) (laughs) Indosh is nodding her head sagely as only Indosh can sagely nod. So, Dion, you said to us, please play my choice songs in specific order, starting with Stormzy and Crown. Why that track? So, uh, well, firstly, I just, I just really enjoy the, the genre of music. Um, so mm. it's, a, it's a genre called grime, which uh, started in London in the early 2000s. But um, just the, I just love the blend of, you know, the, the choir with this, with this really sort of almost rap um, beat to it. But the words, uh, you know, had a whole lot of uh, meaning, especially for the last year. Um, it was, you know, say, I'm not anti-white, I'm pro-black. Um, it also just means about wearing that crown. And I think for business owners everywhere, um, that crown is really, really, really heavy at the moment. And not only business owners, but I think just yeah, generally people can, can, can take that from it. So it's for me just to represent kind of where we are in the world now. And, um, you know, I've been working on, on you know, these predictions and things, uh, forecasts for, for 2021. Um, and I just thought it would be a perfect way to start it, just to sort of contextualize where we are and, you know, at the, at the start of 2021. And um, to kind of resonate with people that, yeah, we feel, we feel the, the weight of that crown. So um, I'm, I'm, you, you know, the work that you do is forecasting. Now, I'm nervous when you use the word prediction because last week we interviewed a lady who was predicting the future by throwing asparagus on the ground, a bit like pick up, pick up sticks. So I think we need to, to differentiate the difference between prediction and forecasting and scenario planning. Yeah, I mean, even <laughs> even at such, we we don't like you know we we kind of get pushed into this. Uh, oh, you guys are futurists, and and we actually say we we don't like too much being called futurists because we're actually we analyze and 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 yeah. um, you know uh, sort of futurists can be speculative and everything. So so what we do, especially with clients, uh, most of our, our clients are really corporate clients, is um, you know strategic thinking, scenario planning, using trends, um, whether they're technological trends or non-tech trends. To kind of just navigate the world, um, uh, you know, uh, around us and, and, and where we're going, and you know, the disruptions has been uh, getting more and more intense. And then, hello, 2020 happened, and nobody expected that that kind of thing, and that sort of set off a chain event uh, or a rookie effect of a whole lot of new things that were were waiting in the wings uh, in in essence in 2019, um, and they've just been accelerated while we've been trying to deal with this pandemic. So, you know, one of the things that I, I'm, I want to go back in time a little with you, if I may. You know, I was, I was just reading something where they were talking about the fact that Larry King only started the Larry King live show when he was in his early 50s. And 
What struck me about that, and then we think of um, Nelson Mandela, who only became a president much later, but what struck me about that was how one shifts one's roles and goals and vision for the future in terms of oneself. And you did that so, so, so smoothly, one could say, moving and shifting from fashion into the world of forecasting and really trying to understand what the opportunities are as we move forward in the world. What was it about fashion that could take you into this new world? How closely are the two linked in many ways? And how did you do it so smoothly? I'm sure a lot of people could learn from that. Well, they always say, you know, besides, uh, behind technology, um, the fashion industry is, is the, you know, the, the, the quickest changing indicator of, of, uh, of, 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 of the zeitgeist and, and, and of change. So you, you watch those two sectors very carefully to see where they're going. And I have different uh, opinions about the fast fashion cycle after 2020 specifically, uh, but we can get into that. But in essence, what I, what I discovered was, when I was in, uh, when I was in the fashion industry, I was also in, mostly in, in fashion media. So I was a, part of the, the launch team of Elle magazine that, that started Elle in South Africa. When I was there, um, you know, as a fashion editor, I, I edited a publication called Elle Man, which was before your Men's Health and GQs and all the other international titles you know came through. And when I left um, Elle magazine, I joined the Silver Boys in the Fashion Week, and that was still in its infancy. And I realized that throughout whatever I was doing in, in a career, um, it was always starting something up. And, and I, I kind of reached a point where I had done the fashion thing and I just said, okay, that's, that's enough. And, and everyone was saying, but, you know, you've, you've, you've grown this media personality, this, this you know, reputation in the fashion industry. How can you just leave it behind? And my answer was, I can't just do something just because everybody's expecting me to stay there. And, and you know, that for me is just, it's not a way of, of, of existing just because you should do that. Um, you need to mm. want to do something. And, and I started Flex Trends, gosh, now 15 years ago um, with no budget, <laughs> no real uh, work plan or business structure or anything like that, um, and just plunged into it. And, I mean, in essence, uh, uh, Flux was, uh, was my midlife uh, uh, crisis um, and uh, I kind of turned it into something a bit more positive. You know, um, I love what you're saying, but also what I what I think when I listen to you is, and we're going to get into like 2020 and the way forward in that. <laughs> but often the fashion sector does. Uh, note or, or flag it, it lifts flags into how we're thinking about the future as well. When I think about it, yeah, I think you know. I think uh, you know when when you say that people will think it's it, it sounds quite flippant because I think everybody's been accustomed to a fast fashion cycle and and just the, the sort of quick disposable way of doing things. But if you mm-hmm. actually go back into into fashion history, um, especially during you know twentieth century, um, they were really the signifiers of of, of revolutions, of, of the zeitgeist, of where politics were going, um, sort of in you know it, intertwined with with sort of social, cultural, socio economic trends and things like that. So so it is a really good in, indicator. But you know, like I said, I think in the 21st century, it kind of lost its way. And I was listening to your conversation with Mike Abel earlier on, and you know, this was just you asked him a question about you know just when do we stop just being a building and building and scaling and scaling? And I think the I mean, 
clarified that the, the, the fast fashion retail model has gone that route and, and the wheels have just come off in, in yeah. 2020. So let's talk about 2020 mm. and the wheels come. Look, the, the wheels have come off in so many different ways. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'd rather just do it Shanks mm. Pony, frankly, because there are no wheels. <laughs> so, okay, let's talk about 2020. What is your reflection back mm. on that? Okay, well, I'm, I'm, I'm busy sort of formulating this. Uh, we, we come out with this, this uh, trend briefing at the beginning of every year, and we're doing this on the 2nd of February. Um, yeah, I'm attending. I'm called, excited. It's called the state we're in, and, and it's, it's sort of our you know, state of the nation kind of uh, but it, it's the state we're in. Um, it, it, we always open the, the year with it, and, and the, the, I, I spent a lot of time looking at the titles, and, and the, the, as we started 2020, before the pandemic struck, the, the title of the, the 2020 presentation was The Politics of Rage and po- Polarization. Yeah. Um, and that was, yeah, kind of was the zeitgeist. And this year's, um, you know, slightly tongue-in-cheek uh, title is called uh, 2020 Hindsight, Lessons from the Great Staggering. And, and the staggering is a little term I, I came up with that sort of uh, describes from full lockdown the period from full lockdown to whenever <clears throat> that new normal is going to be, uh, you know, uh, to, going to sort of dawn on us. And, and mm. unfortunately for, I don't want to you know, be a downer on a Sunday morning, but uh, for people listening, I think that's only going to really be at the end of 2021. So we've got a, uh, a groundhog year ahead of us. Um, again. Yeah, I suspect it may mm. even go into 2022, but let me yeah. not be the real yeah. voice of Lloyd. <laughs> um, interestingly, when you talk about uh, last year, and I remember going to that talk of yours around the politics of rage, um, there are two things that strike me about it. The one was that you showed a video at the time of China, and China, of course, had already gone into the COVID uh, uh, pandemic. And the drones that were sort of yelling at the little boys who weren't wearing masks. I mean, it it really struck me at the time as this is so bizarre. Now I'm like, well, it's not bizarre at all. I mean, it's amazing what in one year things, how things change. But what hasn't changed is this idea of rage. And a little earlier, we were talking to a conflict resolutionist, um, Andre Flock, about the politics of rage and and the fury and certainly one sees it in the media one sees it uh, in politics but one sees it on the ground as well and uh, we've seen a year of that have you seen anything converse to that have you seen a greater increase in kindness perhaps empathy um, uh, more. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it seems to be a sort of a strange dovetail because, because on the one hand, you just have that anger all over the place. And the reason why we chose that, um, uh, that titling at the beginning of 2020 was that a quarter of the nations, world nations, in, in, at, at the end of 2019, um, a quarter, so that's you know, a really a large number of countries around the world, had all experienced some kind of civil unrest and violent protest. And, and so the, you know, everything was, was really, really angry. And, and the planet was angry. I mean, if you remember, yeah. we, we came into 2020 with, you know, um, uh, plagues of locusts in East Africa. We had raging fires in California and, mm. um, and in uh, Australia. And then this pandemic hit, you know, it was just, it was like of biblical proportions. Um, and, and yes, we, we've seen, I think, 2020, the, the word that just came out over and over and over again was empathy. And, and I think we have been, we are being steered, um, whether we like it or not, into a much more of a caring way of looking at things. So, yeah. so you were mentioning again, you know, with, with, with Mike about, about businesses and, and looking at things. And, and one of the biggest things is, is, 
is humanizing businesses and, and, and nurturing socialization. So, so when, you know, when we speak to corporate companies, we're also saying, you know, before um, you would have looked at just, uh, you know, the employee and, and, and what that is and your bottom line and all of those kind of things. Now you're starting to look at employees in terms of their, their, their familial um, surroundings, what, what is the impact of, of where they live and, and who they live with and mm. what that family structure is. It just goes a little bit uh, deeper into it. Um, and, and especially in terms of you know the, the economy, they you know they're starting to to, to call for for this this term um, stakeholder capitalism. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, which is which is which is great uh, because we we just can't do it just for profit and 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 kill and wreck the planet. And we're understanding that we need this balance. Um, otherwise, uh, we we've kind of steered into the uh, um, sorry look, looked into the abyss. And we know what's going to happen if we don't look indeed, after this planet. I mean, as I mentioned earlier, yesterday we were talking about um, donut economics and talking yes. to the woman who founded mm. it, Kate Raworth. And really that does talk to about mm. what happens in the missing s- section of the donut, the bit in the middle. And yeah. if you are stuck there, we need to shift people into the donut, but realize that there is this finite environmental space edge around it as well. So I think you nail that as well. We're going to go into your second song, and, and I'm doing it in order because you were very clear <laughs> on your instructions. Coldplay's Adventure of a mm. Lifetime. I certainly feel that we are. I don't know if it's a nightmare of a lifetime, but certainly an adventure <laughs> of a lifetime. Why this choice song? Well, also just to try and put a positive spin you know, on it. I don't want to yeah. you know, try and become all polyamorous and everybody, but, but, but we really have to... I think you know that's why we've I've, I've, I've called this this briefing you know um, lessons in hindsight and of the great staggering and, and we've learned yeah. these lessons and then now we need to to rethink and reassess and recalibrate and and so it is a new adventure so so I want to try and you know put a bit of yeah positive spin onto things and <laughs> and people should <laughs> in the in the dark gloomy and it's very very gloomy and um, to try and see how we can do things differently and and just have some optimism to that yeah here we go. The Jet Set Breakfast on SAFM. Destination unknown. It's 9.35 and we have our guest presenter. He is a man with purpose for forecasting, looking at uh, strategic planning as we move forward into 2021. None other than the fabulous Dion Chang. Dion, I am delighted with your choice of book. It's not often that we end up talking books with our guests, but I think that this is something that is really, really potent. The fabulous Hari Kunzru, who is a British writer, and yet you talk about the Memory Palace, which was a completely different approach. Yes. So, um, you know, it's, it's slightly unconventional because this is not your your, your kind of works of, um, uh, you know, fiction that you can buy uh, and everything. But it's a, it's an exhibition when one could travel. I popped into uh, years ago uh, to the V&A in London, which is uh, just quite possibly my most favorite uh, museum in, uh, uh, in the world. Mm. Um, and the Memory Palace, just really, really quickly, was an exhibition. Um, and it's set in a future uh, of London hundreds of years uh, ahead 
where the entire world's information infrastructure is wiped out by a magnetic storm. So it's uh, the reason why I chose this, especially today, it's just sort of got this uh, apocalyptic kind of thing. Rebuilding, you know, before the break we were talking about uh, rebuilding and not taking too many resources. Um, and, and I just loved the, this, this book and the exhibition because they're called um, this, this magnetic storm that just wiped everything out from the Internet and all of our files and everything, the, the withering. And um, and and uh, it's just this this uh, the concept of this, the book is and the exhibition is that um, uh, memories were outlawed. So there's a, a rebel group uh, that start trying to remember everything about art, recording, writing, collecting, um, and 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 this is sort of an underground movement because uh, memories have been outlawed. So hence the memory palace. You know what's brilliant about the idea of that as well is this idea that a book is not necessarily a book as we know it, but that a book can be a physical in all sorts of diverse and different ways. And I think that uh, we need to think more and more about that as we move into a world where we don't know what the future is. We don't know how this is going to work. We don't know what theater really means now. We don't know what an exhibition really means now. It means something different. And it is about saying, how do we move forward, do things that, that talk to important issues like identity, like memory, but use different physical ways of doing it? So, you know, the, one of the things, uh, I'm, I'm glad you said that because um, it, it is probably one of the most memorable exhibitions I've, I've ever attended. Um, so you go through this, this, this whole thing, this little cartoon that that's sort of, uh, is the narrative of the entire book. There was a little corner which just sort of looked like some billboards and things torn up. And they said, you know, um, before the great withering and the booming, um, you had these sort of big messages in the sky and it all sort of came crashing down and they used to call that advertising. I just thought it was so, so, so clever. And yeah. you move through this whole story and, and, and round the corner, just as you exited the exhibition, they had an entire digital space where they asked all the, the exhibition uh, attendees to, on a, on an, on a pad, um, write down your best memory and then they would collect that in the cloud. And I just thought that was just such a brilliant holistic way of looking, as you said, of content, of an exhibition, of a book, of, of yeah, of, of mm. how you, you put something together that is a, an amazing experience. So let's crack into your first guest. And, and what's kind of cr- crazy about this is we've been talking about textile art, fabric art, and it seems to have been a theme that's threaded, excuse the pun, its way through our show yesterday and today. And none other than Billy Zangewa, the the artist who works with fabric in so many beautiful ways is your guest. Why Billy? Well, why Billy, not Billy? But yeah, like, I've known <laughs> for a very long time, Billy, and also just, I mean, you know, when you just see the the work, and I think her work is 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 so relevant on so many levels. So it's not only the narrative, and I'll let Billy explain kind of what what puts into her work, but the fact that it is textile, it is. It's, it's, it's very tactile. And the more we go into a digital world, the metaverse, I think that tactility is, is even is even more important. And, you know, just the fact that, um, you know, gosh, Billy's got works that have been bought by the Smithsonian, the, you know, the, the Pompidou Centre in Paris, the, you know, the Tate in London. Um, so these are not uh, insignificant uh, collections that, that these people have. And it's just fantastic that that Billy is, has, has a, a foothold in each of those, those wonderful uh, permanent exhibitions there. Billy, thank you so much for joining us on the line. 
Hi, Michelle. Hi, Dion. Thank you so much, <laughs> both of you, for having me. It's great to be with you this morning. <laughs> so I want to ask you a question, and it's something we didn't really touch on when we were talking about it yesterday. It's this idea of when we talk about fabric and textile art, often, particularly the way you're working with it, mm. it talks to it talks to questions around gender as well, by the very nature of what you're doing. And I wonder if you could describe that for us. Um, well, basically, you know, for me, when you talk about gender, it definitely speaks to my work and, and part of the big reason why I chose to use textile and um, to sew is that, you know, for me, it just affirms my identity as a woman. And I do feel that historically, you know, women have been given bad press, if you, if you, you know, if, if I can put it that way. And that so well, let's go back to the time of something valuable. It was just like, you know, a woman is just passing the time. It's insignificant. <laughs> but yeah. for me, you know, it speaks very much to a powerful aspect of the female identity. And, you know, what I recognized in it was the soft power in it that there is this really incredible power that can be achieved through a repetitive act of sewing. Wow. And, um, and also for me, it's really just to say that I'm actually proud of who I am. I am proud of things female, and I want to elevate those aspects of women. So it's a very political statement on my part. The tactile experience of it is as you've just described, but not only that, and I suppose this goes back to Dion's ideas of content, the content, the imaging, the storylines and the narratives which you put onto your fabric. Tell us about that. Well, I actually tell um, the daily life of a woman. So I'm basically, you know, using um, a female, traditionally female te technique and pastime to tell the story of a woman, to put a woman, you know, in, in the center of her own narrative. Um, you know, and my aim is really just to humanize. You know, there's been a lot of objectification and kind of like projection of fantasy onto women. And I'm saying this is actually a human being who does these things in her daily life. And, you know, she has feelings and she has struggles and she's actually a person and not an object. Um, so, you know, my narrative is, you know, my whole thing is kind of complete, you know. It's just kind of dealing with just um, the identity of a woman and being a woman and what that means in, in our society. And for me as well, you know, it's really just kind of to connect so that the perception of women hopefully can slowly but surely change. So, Billy, and I'm going to put this story to this question to you as well, Dion, is um, this idea of humanizing, particularly now in a time where trauma is like just ramped right up and not just individual trauma, but societal trauma, national trauma, global trauma. I mean, it's just completely ramped up. And it has meant that often we uh, have, have, have not, I suppose, prioritized our humanity because we've been so kind of overwhelmed by issues of fear of anger of trauma etc talk to us about that and and, and dion I'll, I'll jump you in first if you don't mind yeah uh, you know we, we were saying you know beforehand that that empathy was that word that just kept cropping up in 2020 and and i just want to you know uh, read a, a short line that you know that i've been working on for, for this, this presentation and it just said um, you know, social gaps are, are going to widen further, and, and we've seen this as well in South, in South Africa that 
you know, the, the, the people that you know they're going to be affected by COVID or the, or the you know, the, the people that have been passing um, just gets closer and closer if, if it hasn't already affected your, your own circle of family. And they just said, you know, grief will turn into trauma. And, and I, I sense that this year is that, that, you know, things, we, we understand kind of where we're going, but, but I think a lot of people are just a little bit too casual about things. And we're going to need to really pull together this year. We're going to need to, to, to just stand on each other's shoulders and just be there for, you know, for people. So, so you know, what Billy's saying and, and, and just sort of glimpses into her life and her work um, does just sort of norm, you know, normalize and humanize things. And, and, and you start just you know, getting, getting a little bit more empathy for, with, with other people and, and, and what their situations are. Billy, I'll jump to you with the, the idea of humanity and maybe even in line with the, the exhibition that you launched last year, the um, Soldier of Love exhibition. Yeah, that's exactly what came to mind when you posed the question. You know, I, it was very important for me to come out as an advocate for love, as a believer that we can do so much better, you know, the way we treat each other, the way we regard each other. <laughs> and um, if we, you know, if we acted and thought and spoke from a place of love, I think that a lot of things would change and a lot of suffering would actually diminish because now we see the other person as a human being, you know, like us, and we want to treat them the way that we would like to be treated. Um, so, you know, for me, I thought as well that the timing was actually very interesting. So when I did the show, I didn't know COVID was going to happen and, and that all of this um, was going to be highlighted, you know, um, yeah. people's indifference to other people's suffering, you know, all of that, and how really it's time for change. And, and really the whole COVID experience has actually highlighted that it's time for change. But I just find the timing of, of my statement, you know, and coming mm-hmm. out as, as an advocate for love very interesting, actually. Um, yeah. It feels somehow important for me on my personal journey, the timing of it. I, I, you know, I'm, I, I listen to both of you and I know, and, and this is not my point of view, but I know that there will be some of our listeners who are thinking, oh, this is so Pollyanna-ish and the like. How do we, how do we argue against that? Don't be jaded. Too many people are jaded. <laughs> <laughs> you know, have the mind of a newborn baby, a young child. We should curious. all go back to that. We should be curious all yes. the time. And give yeah. it a go. What have we got to lose if we chose to come from a position of love as opposed to fear? What yeah. have we actually got to lose? Dion, how would you respond to that? I would respond uh, actually the same because uh, actually in our, in our corporate workshops that we do, I, I, I try and get executives to really think about things with the eyes of a child, just to look at things completely differently. And, and I think that's where we are. We have this sort of crossroads that, uh, you know, in, in, in history um, there's a pre-pandemic and a post-pandemic world, and it's, it's very, very clear, clearly cleaved and divided by 2020. Yeah, and and we have to do things differently. So we can't continue the way we we did. And everyone says, you know, oh, let's just go back to normal. But 2019 no was not really a nice place to be in, actually. Yeah. Um, so so we've got to uh, rethink things, and and that that is it. it. It's to to be very very open to to things. And and one of the things that we have lost with digitalization and you know, social media and all of that is that very basic humanity, um, you know, that we do. Any parent that's, that's listening here will, uh, you know, be nodding in agreement when, you know, you have to call your, your kids to, to suffer on WhatsApp or, or, you know, everyone's sort of sitting around the table and you get together as a family, but everybody's on their phone. Um, it's, it's just those yeah. fundamentals and we need to reach out, especially now when, when so, there's so much uh, sadness and trauma around. You know, I would put this to you, uh, 
Dion, that that one of the arguments would also be for opening up on vulnerability, to not be afraid of our own vulnerability. And I think particularly the work that you do in the private sector, you probably find people guarding against vulnerability all the time, as opposed to saying, well, let me just open myself to being vulnerable and see what comes out of it. Yeah, it's been it's been rising <clears throat> that that sort of um, acceptance of that has has very very clearly rose in 2020, where you're seeing a lot of um, you know celebrities or people that have high profiles are saying it's okay not to be okay. And and when you you know in 2020 when you went on an endless another Zoom meeting and you'd say to people how are you and they say I'm fine, you know people started saying are you really fine? And, and yeah. it's, it's, it's that that whole phrase of it's okay not to be okay came out with us, you know, very strong and clearly. And just, just one of the, the, the insights that we got from, from this uh, thing, this trend brief I'm doing, um, and that's quite shocking as well, is the fact that um, more and more people are, are preferring to actually have a robot therapist, which is very telling because, um, or, a, or a, you know, an algorithm that, that will chat back to you because they don't want to be judged and, and they find it easier to chat to something that is, non-human and as an algorithm that, that they can just kind of keep talking and it's you know there's one of the things that's called a robot so you can just go and vent at this at this oh. algorithm which i think is is rather sad and, mm. and quite fantastic at the same time <laughs> <laughs> billy we do need to get on to dion's second guest i must say the idea of a robot really actually makes my skin crawl <laughs> <laughs> but, but there we go and um, as we there is um, client privilege with a therapist. I'm just saying. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. What happened to that client privilege stuff? Yeah. And Billy, in closing Thank with you. you, no, but I just want to ask you very yes. briefly. We're going into 2021. How are yes. you going to? What kind of eyes or, or lens are you going to have on 2021? Um, well, I'm going into it with vulnerability. You know, it's it's new for me as well. I used to, you know, just kind of like shelter myself and my vulnerability. But I've learned that. You know, that's the only way to connect with people. Mm. So I'm going to carry on on that path, celebrating my triumphs and the things in my life that matter to me, like my child and being a mother and, you know, self-exploration and just really just opening myself up to connect and inviting other people to do the same. And, um, you know, I'm very lucky. I have a really incredible year ahead of me and um, amazing projects. Um, and, and I'm just going to make the best of it. You know, I might not be able to travel, but I'm going to give it 100 percent anyway. I love that, Billy Zangewa, artist extraordinaire. Look her up. You'll definitely be able to see some extraordinary artworks and the way she works with silk and uh, really sewing. and It's just absolutely world-class and exquisite. Nevertheless, I suppose now's the point to say let's all take a deep breath. (sighs) (sighs) Breathe out slowly because we're moving into your second guest, Dion, Dr. Ella Manga. Tell yes. us about your choice of Ella. <clears throat> well, um, um, Ella and I sort of crossed paths uh, rather strangely. She's sort of uh, the, a friend of somebody that, that works at, at Flux, and she said, no, no, with this, there's something we need to, 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 to chat about. So I thought, okay, let's, let's chat. And, um, and I had never really, I'd heard about breathwork, and, and mm. uh, we just started chatting about, about this, and she said, just come for one, one session. Um, and you know, I think we all know this uh, that that we don't we breathe shallowly. We we don't breathe very very deeply. And, and uh, diaphragmatic breathing is actually yes. what you need to do. It just just helps your you know physiolog- physiologically. It helps you you get you know uh, a, a better performance out of your body. All of those kind of things. But we just kind of forget. 
And the first, the first session I, I went uh, in terms of breath work, um, it was such a kind of cathartic release, something just inside uh, broke its banks. And uh, not that I wept, but tears were rolling down my, 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 my eyes when I was just doing this. And I just thought, gosh, this is just what the power of breath and breathing can do. And uh, I felt so much lighter after that. And, and especially just what we've been saying about this year ahead and, and how hard it is. I just thought it would be interesting to, to explore what breathwork is and, and yeah, and, and, and have uh, Dr. Ila to, uh, let us know about that. Dr. Ila Manga, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Michelle, and good morning, Dion, and hello to all your listeners. You know, um, this is intriguing because one can also look at um, breathwork in so many ways as a metaphor. If we think about COVID and the fact that it does impact our lungs and our breath, and there, there is that kind of relationship between breathing and being alive and what that truly means. Perhaps you could just uh, give us a little insight into that. Yeah, exactly as you say, Michelle. You know, I really see our breath as a tool of relationality that supports our relationship with ourselves, our bodies, our feelings, our emotions on a very practical physiological level. Mm. But also it is a, a way that we relate to others. Yeah. You know, we become really aware of this shared breath in you know, in a perhaps a little bit of a scary way, but yeah. there's a beauty in this the fact that we we share the same breath, we are all breathing the same breath. You yeah. know, every person that has ever walked the planet, in some way, has shared this breath. It's quite an incredible thought. It's a bit but like it's, it's a bit like sharing the water. I mean, it's, water is finite. I suppose the air is just finite in a way as well. It's held within the earth. Exactly. You know, and it's being recycled through us constantly. So, 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 Ella, you know, one of the things when I was at drama school, we millions of years ago, they, they made us do breath exercises. And the reason that they made us do breath exercises, and I do remember lying on the ground doing breath exercises and being so exhausted that I would just fall asleep time and again. But, but what it was about was, was like just talking to the idea that breath is so linked to emotion. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you could just expand on that. Yes, we, now we're just starting to understand the physiological mechanisms of this, you know, through um, research that is being done in, in, you know, just in the field of breathwork related to the vagus nerve, for example. We understand now the link between the way we breathe and how that message gets sent to the brain through the vagus nerve, sending messages of safety and bringing down the inflammatory markers in the body. Um, you know, we understand that mechanism now. But also, you know, uh, Dion was talking about diaphragmatic breathing, and I, I just did a workshop last week just focused on the diaphragm. And in researching for this workshop, I was just so fascinated in exploring the depth of this incredible muscle that most of us don't understand. And yeah. there is a link uh, between how we use the diaphragm and how we process emotion which is probably one of the reasons why we feel this catharsis when we actually are mobilizing the diaphragm and freeing it up in a breathwork session. I mean, Dion, you talked about that moment of breathing, connecting with your diaphragm, and suddenly there were tears rolling down your face. Yes, I mean, it, it was it was really quite a surreal, um, you know, and, and <laughs> yeah. not to overstate something, but it was quite an out-of-body out of experience. And I just think it's, 
it pointed to the fact that you you know you 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 don't breathe deeply enough or you don't just sort of experience that and 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 when you do you know things uh, things things really change and and this is coming from somebody who who meditates every morning who understands in terms of yoga taking you know conscious breaths and 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 being that so this was just completely on a different level so i thought i was I was quite conscious about my breathing, and, and I do that, you know, wake up, take three conscious breaths, uh, you know, have gratitude, all those kind of things. Um, but, but this was really just taking on something. And, and like I said, the, the, the lightness that, that I felt afterwards was, was quite, quite, quite incredible. I'd never really felt something like that before. And I just think um, I, I love what Dr. Ella was saying when I first, you know, went for the session was also that this is something everybody can do. Yes. Um, you know, once you once you understand what you you're taking in these 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 deep 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 you know uh, 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 gulps of breath, um, and 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 what it does to to your uh, your body and, and and how it can help you, everybody can do this at home. And I think that's why, especially in a you know in the middle of a pandemic, something just to calm yourself, just to just to really really just ground yourself is is so 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 important. Ella, we're going to have to close off with you. So briefly, I'd like to ask you if you had to give a tip to uh, people who are listening and going, mm, I can breathe. I do breathe all the time, but I can actually breathe consciously to make myself feel better. What would that tip be? I think the first thing is just to wake up to how you are breathing in certain situations. Notice how you are breathing when you're anxious. Notice how you are breathing when you're scared. Notice how you're breathing when you're feeling overwhelming grief. And know that by changing the way you breathe, you are tapping into a powerful resource within you that is always with you. So deepening your relationship with your breath deepens your relationship with life. Dr. Elamanga. Dion, in closing for you, you mentioned um, those three conscious breaths. I, I like that idea. Tell us uh, a bit more. Well, I think you know everybody can have their own mantra, but but um, I've been uh, even before lockdown, I've been doing uh, YouTube yoga. <laughs> I, yeah. I follow I, my instructor is called Yoga with Tim, and and I've been doing YouTube yoga for for a long, long, long time. And uh, he always you know starts and says you know take take three conscious breaths. And I think we so so often just don't do that. It's, it's like kind of stopping your day. You don't live in the present. I know this sounds all shuwaish, but but it really, really is. And you should try it. You know, just uh, before you as you wake up or as you as you go to sleep. It actually helps me uh, go to sleep. Is take three conscious breaths, and and with each breath you can do kind of mantra and say you know i'm, I'm glad i'm alive or uh, whatever it is um new beginnings uh, and 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 it really really does help so i suggest everybody take a very deep breath or a, or three what uh, is your let's say three deep conscious breaths what's your mantra in the morning my mantra is so the first mantra is um you know thank you for for this day so so i really do uh, i wake up and then i think especially you know uh, now but but just generally i have to say Gosh, I'm awake. I'm alive. I'm I'm here. This is a new day. The second one is saying thank you for the for the for the actual sacred breath, so that you, you, you know, it's the essence of life. If you don't breathe, you you're not there. And then the, the last one is um, thank you for new beginnings. So you so it's just acknowledging that you are here and and that you you are breathing, and that whatever your woes were the day before, you can start again. And and I use that to close the the, the, the day as well, and it really helps. Dion, uh, for people who are interested in finding out more about the event on the 2nd of February, the open session, what is the Flux Trends email address? 
Um, so or you can website. just uh, go to the website. There's a contact us there. It's uh, info at, at Flux Trends, but www.fluxtrends.com and you just uh, look at uh, for the open session tab and uh, it's there on the homepage. Dion Chang, thank you so much for joining us. I'm breathing as we speak. And go to that website, www.fluxtrends.com, if you are interested in finding out more about 2021. Lovely KG is up next. That's it from us. It's 10 o'clock. It's time for the news. It's no longer good morning. It's now goodbye.